Hey, how are y'all? I'm gonna sneak behind. Good. Y'all good? Yeah. Woo, woo. Well, we have um, my classes back here. Y'all wave to the wonderful ladies in the Wednesday night class. Um, and we have been kind of doing a similar series on big questions, biblical answers, and so we ended up being on the same topic at the same time. And I reached out to Pastor Scott, who makes his ministry of uh, reaching out to women at the abortion mill and men as well. And so I thought it would be appropriate that we all come together and listen to what uh, Pastor Scott has to say. So if y'all give him a round of applause, that would be great. Come on, y'all do better than that. I deserve more than that. Clap. On the end here. Clap. All right. Do I use this mic? You don't have to. I can just talk. Great. I love that. All right. Let's pray. It's a big topic. Y'all ready? I need you focused. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for a courageous church that's willing to handle a tough issue. Many people say it's a political issue. It's not. It's a Jesus issue. It's a gospel issue. And so, Lord, we just come to you tonight. We want truth to be told, and I pray that nobody in this room feels condemned or shamed, um, even though the topic is heavy. I pray that, yes, the church will be convicted, but I pray that the church will be encouraged and that these young men and women, and the older ones in the back as well, would stand strong upon your foundation in a culture that is so accepting to the killing of innocent, voiceless children. Now's a good time for the church to be the church. Now's a good time for Christians to be Christians. And now's the time for the church to rise up and engage a culture that is filled with ignorance, rage, and hopelessness. And thank you for the hope that is here. Mold and shape these young adults to be arrows that are pointed towards the enemy and fired and used to overcome the darkness that's in our culture. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Uh, I want to just kind of share my testimony with you and how I got involved in this. Um, I've been a pastor for 10 years at a church in Smyrna, Christ Life Community. And uh, six years ago, we were dealing with a lot of racial tension in our culture. Ferguson, Missouri was going on. And the church didn't really know how to handle the racial tension. Pastors weren't really sure what to do with it either. And we were being asked that question, what are you going to do as a pastor, as a Christian, to deal with this tension that we're feeling in our culture? And I had a young man come up to me, an African-American man, and he pointed at my chest. He says, what are you going to do? What are you going to do about this? And my response was, we'll share Jesus with everybody I know and share the gospel, right? Because the gospel wins, because Jesus wins, and the gospels have an answer really to any issue that we face in our culture today. And he looked at me and said, it's not enough. And it bothered me. The statement bothered me. The person bothered me. And actually made me angry at the young man. And I said, well, what do you recommend? And he said, I don't know. I said, you don't know. I said, what do you want me to do? Go hold a sign? 
go pick it somewhere. I said, I'm not that guy. He says, I don't know. So we parted, and for 24 hours I stewed. Stewed. I was angry because of the statement. And I was angry at the young man too. And so I came the next day, I went to Starbucks on Sam Ridley. And I was there, I was trying to get in the scriptures, open my Bible, and I was so distracted because I was still angry at that young man and the scriptures. And so I stepped back from the scriptures, it was a crowded room, and I said, Lord, I'm angry. Take my anger. Take my anger and give me something in return. Nothing. I said, Lord, I can't move forward in the scriptures, I can't work on my sermon. The anger was beginning to turn into bitterness. When a person, when anger goes to bitterness, it defiles a person. And everybody around them becomes defiled. And as Christians, we're not called to be bitter. There's a righteous anger, yes, but we're never called to bitterness. And so I said, Lord, you have to take it. And I lifted my hands up. I said, please take it. And he did. He took my anger and he gave me two words. Engage abortion. The Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and said, engage abortion. I got on my computer, my phone, Googled abortion. Where do they happen? They happen in Las Casas, Murfreesboro, Franklin, Brentwood, Nashville. I didn't know. And I saw two locations in Nashville. One was on this street called Welshwood, right off of Knowlesville Road, and then there was Planned Parenthood in Nashville. I said, all right, I think I'm supposed to go. So, got in my car one day, the next day, and I drove down there, and I drove up on Welshwood, the abortion facility was over on the left, I parked on the street, there was a mom and a young girl about y'all's age standing there, pleading with these young women as they went in. I was like, I'm not getting out of the car, I'm just going to pray right here, it's safer here. I was a little scared, didn't really know what to say or do. And then a young man came over to the young girl that was young, probably about, she's probably about 13 years old. The mom got distracted, and he was really verbally just abusing her. So I had to get out of the car and defend her and deflect him to me. And for two hours, I engaged this young guy, threatened me, threatened to beat me up, all this stuff. And after two hours, he went back in, and he killed his child. I left there that day. And my hands were shaking. I said, Lord, is this what you want me to do? He said, yes. So I figured out, I learned something about the community. It's called Hell's Hill. There's an abortion facility right there, abortion mill. On either side was an apartment complex filled with drug dealers, prostitutes, all kinds of people. And the Lord spoke to my heart. And he said, take the hill back. I figured out that they aborted children on Tuesdays and Fridays. I realized that 8.30 in the morning to about 12.30 was the most opportune time for people to abort their children. And so I started going to tell anybody, started going at those times wondering, can I make a difference? So I would show up and I'd be as close as to the moms and dads back here and I'd be this far away and I was nervous. They'd be walking in, I would have 30 seconds to 60 seconds to speak. So I said, Lord, I don't know what to say. You tell me what to say. I knew that I needed three things. 
humility. I needed to look at the plank in my eye before I took the speck out of somebody else's eye. People say you're not supposed to judge. It's not true. Everything's judgmental. You're judging me right now. Hey, don't judge me. I'm judging you right now just based off your expressions on your face. Judgment's okay. Righteous judgment's okay. Wrong judgment's not. We're called to judge ourselves, look at the plank in our own eye before I judge the speck in your eye. And that's okay. And so I knew I needed three things. Humility, love, and truth. And I couldn't compromise any of them. I had to check my heart and make sure that I wasn't prideful, that I was coming in in a very low position, not better than anybody in that parking lot. I came with love. I wanted them to feel love. I know they, I couldn't hug them, but I wanted them to feel that kind of love that was coming from. I wanted them to see love in my eyes, in humility in my eyes, but I had to bring truth. I had to bring truth. And you can't compromise any of them. Not everybody going into an abortion facility needs a hug. Some people just need truth. And then there's others that need a hug, and I have to discern in those moments which is which, and it's really a balance of all three. And so young women be walking, all right, Lord, what do I say? Tell them you're a pastor. Hey, I'm a pastor. I care. I'm not here to condemn you or shame you. I care for you. I'll walk with you. I'll help you. God loves that child. He created that child in the womb. He says that child is intricately woven together in the depths of the mother. That's God's hand. Don't pull his hands off that child. Don't kill that child. Be the mother. If you're pregnant today, you're the mother of a living child. Don't leave here today the mother of a dead child. If you're pregnant, you're a mother already. Because that's what the scriptures say. Got a lot of ridicule, a lot of things said to me. But then one day, this lady named Tina, a young girl, was walking in. And she stopped, and I said, hey, can I pray with you? And she said, yeah. She came over, and we were talking, shared the gospel with her, prayed with her. She goes, what do you want me to do? I said, are you here for an ultrasound? She said, yeah. I said, well, let's leave. Let's go get an ultrasound somewhere else. She's like, okay. So we went to the Hope Clinic in Nashville. She followed me 20 miles into Nashville. Uh, probably about 10 miles. <coughs> Went to the Hope Clinic. She came out. She said, look, I have a boy. I said, that's awesome. What are you going to do? She said, I'm going to keep him. I was like, you are? I was like, wow, that's amazing. I can make a difference. I can talk a woman out of an abortion. Today, Austin Jay's probably almost six years old. He's doing awesome. And so I, it emboldened me, it gave me confidence, and I went back and, and, and began to do it more and more. And one turned into five, to 10, to 20, to 30, to 40, to 50, to 60, to 100, to 150. Today we're at 273 children have been rescued. Why? Because the church got out of the pew and engage darkness. If you go and if you speak, children will live. If you don't, 
they'll die. Isn't that powerful? If we don't go, they die. Tomorrow morning at Planned Parenthood, I would say 20 to 40 children are on schedule to die. They're up to 12 weeks, they're going to be poisoned. That lifeline that's connected to them shrivel up. It'll poison them. It'll starve them to death. It's a brutal, brutal procedure that the women go through. This hell is no big deal. It's a brutal procedure. If it's over 12 weeks, they'll take a vacuum cleaner. They'll pull that child apart, mother's womb, piece by piece. It's graphic, I know. But we got to be honest. I see the women that come out of the building crying. Your age. Crying. I see them 10 years later. They had an abortion 10 years ago, 20 years ago. They come down to the street and they stand next to me and they say, does the pain ever end? Is there mercy for me? Why does a woman come out of that building crying if Planned Parenthood does health care? Why does a woman 10 years and 20 years later come to me on the street crying, still crying, if what they do is health care? You see, you're made in the image of God. You're made to be loving, nurturing, protecting, to live sacrificially for the betterment of others. When you abort a child, you're completely doing the opposite of those four things. You're not loving, you're not nurturing, you're not protecting, but all of a sudden you're sacrificing something else for the betterment of who you are. And when you go against that, when you go against the image of God and what you're created to be and do, it's costly. But our culture told us, it tells us it's just a clump of cells. It's not a human being. It's not a big deal. But that's not what Scripture tells us. If it's just a clump of cells, why do so many women come out of that building crying? It's not just a physical act. And the reason it's not just a physical act, because you can look in the Scriptures and you can look at Lot and the story of Lot. You can look at his two daughters who had an incestuous relationship with him. They had two children. And from those two children became the Moabites and the Ammonites. And from the Ammonites and the Moabites became an evil, false god called Molech. Molech was an evil god. They would have children, and Molech would be heated up, and he'd have these hands, and they'd become boiling hot, and they would take their children, and they would put them in the hands of Molech and sacrifice their children. They sacrificed their children. That's in the scriptures. The drums would beat loud. They would beat drums so they, you wouldn't hear the screams of the children. And God warned Israel, do not sacrifice your children at the altar of Melech. But what you'll see in scripture is Israel failed to obey God's word, and they did that, and they too were punished. They sacrificed their children at the at the hands of Melech. So abortion's not just a physical thing. It is a deeply, deeply spiritual issue. 
And it is the gates of hell. There is no darker place in our society than 412 DB Todd, where Planned Parenthood is, where 40 babies will probably die tomorrow. There is no more of an evil place. And as Christians, we are called to be light. We are called to be peacemakers. And we are called to be salt. And we are called to enter into the darkest of places and be peacemakers. Peacemakers go where there is no peace and brings peace. Salt is not just an enhancer of food, but it also draws infection out of infected areas. And at 412 DB Todd, that is an infected area of darkness. And we are called to go and be salt in that place. We're called to be light. There is nothing more dark than 412 DB Todd. And we go there and we bring light because light overcomes darkness. And what we see is the gospel advancing in that place. And we're seeing people not only choose life, but we're seeing people come to know the Lord. Psalm 139. Let's go there if you have it. I think Pastor Aaron was going to read from it, but that's okay. I'm glad he left it for me. Psalm 139.13 says, You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Who's knitting who together? Who is that? Who? For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Who's knitting who together? God. Okay. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows them very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them that days were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. And so when you just look at that scripture right there, and you realize that it's God's hands that are weaving these unique children, one of a kind, never to be duplicated again, children together. Who are we to take God's hands off of that process and put our hands on the child to snuff that child out? It's evil. You can look at Jeremiah 1.5. He says that he has holy plans for that child. He says that God is holy, that he has set that child apart, that it is a sacred child. When you look at even back at Psalm 139, he says, I formed you, I formed your inward parts. The inward parts is that place that we call the heart. Not the physical heart, but when you say, hey, I love you with all my heart, we're speaking of something that's not physical. We're speaking of something deep within our soul. But the Hebrew word for inward parts is kidneys which is interesting. And so that deep recess within your soul that is never to be messed with in an evil way is called the place of the kidneys. So you can actually say, hey, I love you with all my kidneys. It would be more accurate according to Hebrew. But God says, I formed that area. That is my place. This child is fearfully and wonderfully made. And we're called to fear God, right? We're called to fear God. It's the beginning of wisdom. But he says, hey... This child is fearfully and wonderfully made. You're not to mess with it. You're not to mess with it. In Luke 1, you have Mary 
who's pregnant with Elizabeth, and there's an angel that prophesies over her. She says, hey, you're going to be blessed. You're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but you have a child who's going to be blessed as well, and he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Then Mary shows up pregnant with Jesus, and what happens? Yeah, John the Baptist begins to respond to Jesus. He's the very first person to respond to Jesus. And who was he? A child within the womb. It doesn't say that a clump of cells was filled with the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say a clump of cells left in the womb. It says a baby left in the womb and responded to Jesus. Who are we to mess with that child? So what is the culture we live in today? Governor Cuomo of New York just a couple of years ago lit up every building in New York and painted it red. Red lights and said, we're celebrating because you can now kill babies all the way up to birth in New York City. It's evil. Governor Northam of Virginia said, hey, we're going to go beyond that. If that child survives the abortion, we'll wrap it in a blanket and we'll make it comfortable when you, until you're ready to end the life of that child. That is evil. That's the current governor of Virginia. Planned Parenthood, founded by Margaret Sanger. Margaret Sanger was born in the late 1800s and lived all the way up to 1960. Margaret Sanger hated people of brown skin. She was known to be affiliated with the KKK. It's just known documentation. She wanted to eliminate people of brown skin. She didn't have the influence to do it but here's a group did, and it was called the eugenics movement. So when slavery was going down, people of brown skin and black skin were assets to rich white people. But when slavery ended, those black people, those brown people, became liabilities. And all of a sudden, the rich white people were like, what, do we ship them back? We can't do that. Do we colonize them in Indiana? We can't do that. We have to come up with something else. Hey, have you heard of Margaret Sanger? No, what is she doing? We need to meet with her. And so the eugenics movement came together with Margaret Sanger. And so we got an idea. What are we going to do? We're going to abort them. Abortion was founded upon the evil of racism. And I had no idea the day that that young African-American pointed his finger in my chest of what are you going to do about it. I had no idea the connection at that point. 86% of Planned Parenthoods are put in black neighborhoods. Eight out of ten women who walk into Planned Parenthood in Nashville are either Latino or black. Planned Parenthood killed 350,000 children last year. Since Roe v. Wade, over 70 million. That's 70 million kids that should be here right now, it's evil. It's evil. You say, well, they do other things, don't they? Other than abortion? Mm-hmm, they do. How many people, how many Jews did Hitler kill? Anybody know? Five million? Probably roughly around there, five or six million. He was evil. Does everybody agree? Was Hitler evil? Did he do good things? Yes, he did. He fed people. 
He clothed people. He gave people jobs and he provided health care. Is he good or evil? Huh? Is he good or evil? evil? He's evil. But did he do good things? Planned Parenthood. Do they do good things? Yes, they do pap smears, pregnancy tests, ultrasounds, and they killed 350 million, 355,000 babies last year. Good or evil? Evil. They're evil. So as Christians, you just saying something about the King of Kings. Praise to the King of Kings. From all creation I sing, praise to the King of Kings. Is Jesus King now or is he going to be King in the future? Huh? Come on, tell me. Is he both? How much authority does Jesus have now? All authority. In heaven or on the earth? Both. That's right. He sits at the right hand of the Father above all rule, authority, power, and dominion. Above every name that is aged, that is named in this age and the one to come, including homosexuality, transgenderism, and even above abortion. He's the head of the church. We're the body. And he says, you too who believe in him have the same power from the Holy Spirit that brought him out of the grave. And you too, according to Ephesians 2, are placed in heavenly places right now. And he says, go. He says, have nothing to do with the unfruitful works of darkness, but expose it. And so I believe, I truly believe Jesus is king now. And if he is king now, then how can I sit back and not do anything? If he's king now and I'm raised in heavenly places with him, then I go to 412 D.B. Todd in that authority, relying on the Holy Spirit to work through me to speak to every unique situation that's happening right there. And I'm watching women change their mind and I'm watching people come to know the Lord and I'm seeing miracles. I'm telling you, the best part of the church, ladies, the best part of the church, fellas, is not going to be in this building. The best part of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit that you'll ever experience is when you take your light and your peace and you enter into culture and you engage and speak. And that's coming from a pastor. You're a child of God. And the highest calling of you is not to sit in these chairs and these pews. But you're called to come here and be equipped. And that's what you're doing in this series. To be equipped, but not just for yourself, but to take it to a world that does not know the Lord. And all of you are ready. All of you are ready. You have a testimony and you know the gospel, right? And that's all I'm doing. You know what I'm doing with those 273 women that I've talked about abortion? 273 women, they all proclaim Jesus as Lord. Did you know that? They're all Christians. 
They were going to kill their children. So they're making a proclamation this way, but their behavior is this way. But here's the one thing they all had in common. They all had a gift of compassion. And when I looked into their eyes and I said, hey, hey, why are you here today? I'm Pastor Scott. I just want to pray for you. I want to encourage you as a woman, tell you that God loves you and he loves that child. And all of a sudden, boom, they start crying. It's the gift of compassion. I know right when I see those tears that the Holy Spirit has them. And so when the Holy Spirit gets them, all of a sudden the behavior does like this. And I keep talking, I keep sharing the gospel, and all of a sudden, boom, and we're out of there. 273 times. It's more than that, but those are the ones I know for sure. Why? Because the gospel was presented. If I don't present it, Proclamation, behavior, death. What does 273 children turn into in 30 years? Thousand people, maybe? What about 100 years? 10,000. Think about that. Think about the multiplication effect of that. It's crazy. It's crazy good. So people ask, what do you do after you rescue them? We make disciples of them. We walk with them, and we love them. And we meet all their needs, whatever they're facing. We buy cars. We put food on the table. We pay electric bills. Matter of fact, we'll have 17 of them gather on Sunday at 2 p.m. at New Vision, and we're going to bless them. 17 moms that we talked about of abortion. They're going to have 17 babies. One of those girls is 15 years old who showed up with her mom to abort her child. The mom was going to make her have an abortion. It was emotional. They pulled up in a car and they were sitting down there and I was up over this fence on a ladder because they try to keep me out because of the success I'm having. And I was looking down upon both of them. The mom started crying and the young girl was confused. The mom started yelling at me. She was angry. But I just kept persisting and loving her. Humility, love, and truth. They went in. The gift of compassion welled up. And they came out. They were both crying. They said, you can help. I said, we'll help you. She said, how? And I told her. I said, this young girl in two weeks is having her child. The mom thought it was the end of the world. They realize now what a blessing that little girl in the womb is going to be. And we're walking with them. We walk with so many of these. I've held so many of these babies. Not a one of them regret it. Not a one. So it's pretty intense, isn't it? But it's amazing. And so now I'm training people all over the world on how to engage darkness and how to share the gospel. So I want to give you a couple things that you can work with. Because you're like, I can't do what you do. Yes, you can. I train all kinds of people. I have a lot of high schoolers and college kids that stand with me. And I train them. Two things I do. Um, I love just in public going to people and saying, hey, you don't think I'm weird, but the Lord wants me to pray with you. Do it at Walmart all the time in Smyrna and in Murfreesboro. Really? Okay. And I pray with them. I say, oh, so you believe in the Lord? Yeah. Okay, if you died today, where would you go? Heaven or hell? Uh, heaven because I'm a pretty good person. Okay. Well, that's not really what the scripture says. Can I talk to you about that? 
and then it leads to a gospel conversation. And it's amazing how many people come to know the Lord in Walmart just by that conversation. Every cross I see in public, I ask about it. So I'm looking around, seeing any crosses. But if you're in public and you walk by me, I'll say, hey, you got a cross. Tell me, what does that cross mean to you? Did you know that nine out of ten people that wear crosses can't tell you what the cross means to them? It's some kind of protective thing. It's some kind of family thing. It's the most common answer I get. It protects me. Really? How does it protect you? It's a family thing. Oh, that's cute. That's cool that your mom or dad gave that to you, but what's the significance of you to it? Nah, I don't really know. Let me tell you about the cross. There was a guy named Jesus that died on that cross. He shed his innocent blood so your sins could be forgiven. But it doesn't stop there. Let me tell you about the resurrection. And I'll tell them about the resurrection. Tons of people come to know the Lord in our county right here just through the simplicity of that. And so if anything, I want you to be encouraged tonight to take what you have and take it to the streets because nobody knows about Jesus. Nobody knows about eternity. But you do. And you know that if they don't know the Lord, they spend an eternity in hell. And so the most loving thing for us to do is to speak and to speak truth. Because that's one of your questions, right? I think uh, Brandon, Pastor Brandon, it's uh, how do you love these women? It's not, agreement is not love. People think, well, you're kind of, you're coming against people. Agreeing with somebody that's owning a lie is not love. The most loving thing for me to do for a young woman or young man walking into Planned Parenthood to kill their child is to speak truth and to speak it boldly and powerfully and passionately. That's love. Because there's an innocent child within that womb that can't protect and defend itself. Right? That's love. Yeah. So questions. Come on, moms, dads, y'all got anything? We'll start with the adults. Yes, Caleb. Uh, Oh, yeah. 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 So I have a mobile ultrasound unit that's on the street twice a week where we do um, we, it's a mobile clinic that's right there. We do ultrasounds, pregnancy tests, a lot of testing that uh, a lot of these people are looking for. We do it right there on the street. And it's all free. So Planned Parenthood charges $300 for testing and ultrasounds and they mess them up. Four times I've caught them telling women that their baby was dead and the baby was alive. It's an unregulated industry. The federal judges will not let this industry be regulated, so we don't know what goes on in those facilities. Other questions? Yes, sir. What does, uh, what does discipleship look like after the fact? That's a great question. So, like, like do you meet up, meet up with the women? I'll get you in a second, man. Yeah. yeah. So... The church, and I'm kind of punching the church a little bit, okay? Because that's kind of what I do. But I love, hear me, I love the church. 
I love the church. But the church has come to this place where we think discipleship is, if can I just get my friend in the seat? If I can just get my friend in the seat, then I've done my part of making a disciple. That's not discipleship. Most discipleship doesn't even happen on Sunday, and it doesn't happen in a coffee shop. Discipleship is life on life. It's life on life, and it's Monday, and it's Tuesday, and it's Wednesday, it's Thursday and Friday, and discipleship is more caught than taught. And so discipleship is sacrificial, and it is dirty. And all of us are called to make disciples. And if you're making disciple of one, you're doing a tremendous job. And so what do we do? We talk a woman out of Planned Parenthood. We get her an ultrasound. And then we figure out what needs they have. And we begin to love her very practically by meeting simple and huge needs. There's no money limit. There's no time limit. And we love them. And so then we figure out, all right, here they are. This is what they know about the Lord. And we begin to love them, meet those practical needs, share Jesus with them, and try to get their life to line up with the Scriptures. And so some of these women we've been walking with for four and five years. Four and five years, and we're seeing women change. Davi was a Buddhist. She was suicidal. She was pregnant. She was going to abort commit suicide. Her teenage daughter was suicidal in middle school. They hadn't eaten food in two days. They were starved. We talked her out of an abortion. I was like, hey, what do you need? We're hungry. All right, we went to Walmart, loaded them up, $200 worth of groceries. I said, hey, my church has a food pantry. You can come to church every Sunday and we'll hook you up every Sunday. She's like, all right, I'll do that. So she comes to church and we she hears the gospel, we give them food. Next Sunday, gospel, food. And then we start meeting some other needs. We get her a job, pay a few bills, gospel, food. All three were baptized. They're no longer Buddhist. And we're still discipling her today. Silas is three. Silas was in my home two weeks ago. They're part of our family. That's what it means to make a disciple. And that's what the church is called to do. Great question. That answer it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anybody, yes, you had a question over here. Why do people get pregnant if they want to kill their children? That's a great question. I won't let your pastor answer that. Right <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, the way I... When you honor the scriptures... Your life lines up, and there's a lot of blessing there. It doesn't mean everything's perfect, but there's a lot of blessing there. When you don't honor the Scriptures, chaos always ensues. Honor the Scriptures and keep chaos out of your life. Okay? And so what happens is they're doing a, an act irresponsibly that is left in the covenant of marriage, and so they mess up, and they try to fix the problem by killing a child, thinking if I can just get rid of the child, I can move on with my life and I can have my own life. But what happens is they don't realize it complicates your life because that young girl that's 15 or 20 or 25, all of a sudden, 10 years later, will be battling depression and suicide. Why? Because she wasn't designed to eliminate the child. 
Okay? And so that's what happened with the young 15-year-old girl and the mom that we're going to see this week. They realized before that happened, they realized what was going to happen. And now they're walking in the blessing and we serve a redeeming God who can redeem the worst situation, even an unplanned pregnancy like that, and make something beautiful out of it. So that leads to rape. So do we kill children when a woman is raped? A lot of people, a lot of Christians think that's justifiable. But what is rape? Rape is the forcing of one's will against another's will to bring harm. And it's evil. And God will bring justice to that person. But what is abortion? It's the forcing of one's will against another's will not to bring harm but to crush. It's more evil. It's of the same spirit. I can't tell you, I just had a baby born two weeks ago. 18-year-old girl was going in to abort her child with her mom. She was raped. It took me two hours of pleading to make that case. And they said, okay, we won't kill, kill her today. And they left. We ended up, they were in a, an abusive environment. We got them out. We put them in an apartment. We furnished it. We got them jobs, fed them, blessed them. Little Kaylani was born two weeks ago, and the mom was going to put it up for adoption. But the week that she had the child, she said, I'm going to keep her. She loves that child. Even though she was raped, she realizes what happened to her isn't justification to put that darkness upon him or her. Okay? People, you hear this all the time about the health, health of the mom. It's so rare. That issue is so rare. But Devin drove two hours from Parsons, Tennessee, with 25% of her heart working. Doctor said, you have to abort your child or you will die having that child. She's praying. She's a Christian. She's driving down Interstate 40 into Nashville. She's praying, saying, Lord, speak to me. And the Lord spoke to her and said, if you hear these words, there's another way. Don't kill your child. She gets out of her car and like, Holy Spirit, give me something. Guess what the words were that he gave? There's another way. She stopped and looked at me. Eyes got real big. She came over to me and bawled. She says, but I'll die. I said, if you die, you die. What a way to go out. That child will live. Your legacy will go forward. But don't kill your child. You don't want that legacy. She said, okay. We were at Centennial Hospital in Nashville. I was with her family in this room. They are like, who is this guy? Uh, nobody knew I was there, but she was having that child. Everybody thought she was going to die. The doctors were not giving us good reports. They came out and they brought Billy, and Devin made it. Little Billy lived. A year later, Devin died. Her family finally reached out. They finally figured out why the strange guy was in the room. They said, hey, we know who you are and what you did. Thank you. Devin's legacy lives on through little Billy. He's three years old. He's three years old. That's redemption. That's the power of the gospel. That's the power of my Jesus. I'll share a couple miracles with you, and then I'll close. A young lady was in her car 
long ways away from me with her boyfriend. They wouldn't look at me. I said, Holy Spirit, give me something. I need their attention. Give me something. Holy Spirit spoke to my heart, told me to go back to my truck, get a box of diapers. Got a box of diapers. I was standing next to this lady named Kathy. She says, why do you have a box of diapers? I said, Holy Spirit told me to get it. She goes, okay. And then the Holy Spirit said, put it on your head. So I took a box of diapers and put it on my head. There's a picture of a child on it. She goes, what are you doing? I said, the Holy Spirit told me to put a box of diapers on my head. She's like, you're crazy. I was like, yeah. The young lady looks up, looks down, looks up, and is frozen looking at me. She starts bawling. She gets out of her car. She comes to me. She's broken. She chooses life. Kennedy is born seven months later. We threw her an awesome baby shower. She's doing phenomenal today. God speaks. He speaks to me. He wants to speak to you. He will speak. Respond. And watch how glorious God is. It's amazing. All right. Anything else? Any other parents? It's a heavy topic. Yes, Pastor. I just got one real quick. Um, first students, you mentioned um, Psalm 139. Yeah. You mentioned Jeremiah 1.5. Yeah. You mentioned Luke 1. Just, yeah. Um, just to help our students or even people, is there any other biblical references that you can think of just to equip us as Christians to yeah. have to support when we address this with humility and truth and love? Yeah, I think it, you know, it starts off, there's a command, do not murder. Okay? It's in Exodus 20. Uh, we're not called to shed innocent blood. That's uh, right around there. That's actually Proverbs 6, uh, 17. Uh, there's actual an example in, I think, Exodus 22, where it talks about somebody that brings harm to a pregnant woman and the child lives, or somebody brings harm to the child in the womb and the child dies and they're punished. And so those are more, but Psalm 139 is pretty solid. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. Did somebody have a question right here? Yeah. Um, So out of curiosity, how many, like, out of the people either that you see walk in or that you've saved are around our age Mm -hmm. or, like, near our age group? And with the people that you were saying with the people outside that are with you and help you do this, like, how many teenagers do you think are, like, help you, like, on the regular Yeah. Um, How old are you? I'm, I'm 16. 16. Yeah, so you, I see quite a few girls from 15 to 20. I've seen them as young as 14 and possibly even 13. Yeah, they're usually let in by a mom or a father or a grandfather. And uh, it gets emotional. So I've had five guns pulled on me, one pointed at my head because I talked to uh, a lady out of killing her child and the husband was so angry at me, he held a gun to my head. What are you willing to do for the gospel? Are you willing to die for it? It's not safe. The gospel is never meant to be safe. It was meant to go forward. You had another part of that question. What was the second part? Um, the people who stand with you. Like yeah. You <coughs> yeah. So I have all kinds of people. I have older people, but younger people. A lot of times college kids on their spring break. 
will come. Uh, a lot of times, just, a lot of kids from MTSU will come. Uh, we do have some high school kids that come. My son, who's a senior at Lancaster, he'll stand with me, and my daughter, well, as well as at Stewart's Creek, they'll stand with me almost every day through the summer. They love being down there. Because, I mean, you guys hear the gospel, but you mainly hear it here. My kids hear it there. And they see it engage people that don't know it. So they see church in a whole other way that most kids your age view church. So, yeah, we have all kinds. So y'all are welcome there. Like, is it dangerous? It can be. It can be. But it's also, I show people how to be safe down there. And I tell people, hey, if something happens, here's what you do. You can cross the road. You can run. But there's going to be a group of us that stay and engage. And, I, and that's what I do. I diffuse people all the time. I diffuse people. And sometimes people that want to kill me were hugging 10 minutes later. Guys, men. Because the engagement, the hate, they're not mad at me. Even though it looks like they're mad at me, they're mad at the situation. And it's an opportunity to engage with the gospel. You don't meet them at their hostility level. You're always down here pulling them down and trying to have a conversation. Because truth wins. Gospel wins. Does that answer your question? Yeah, that's a good question. Love to have you guys come down. You can come and just observe. You don't have to say anything. You can pray. Um, actually, on May 7th, and we're not putting anything on social media, but we're inviting the church, the big church down. We're expecting four to 500 people from our community to come down and stand at Planned Parenthood to show the world that this is not okay. Because if the church isn't there, and people just drive by Planned Parenthood, we're saying it's okay to kill children. But if one person is there, then it brings conviction to the culture. If 500 are there, they won't abort any children that day. And to me, it's worth it. Uh, I get there every morning about 8.20 a.m. They open up at 8.30 and I'll stay till about 1 p.m. every day. No, we have, we've never done anything like this. Uh, we did have about 100 people show up randomly one day uh, about a month ago, and it was awesome. If the church shows up, it ends. It will go away. If the church shows up, abortion will end. We don't have to wait on politicians, the right president or the right judge. If the church shows up, children will stop dying. Isn't it? I mean, it's just what it is. It's, it's honest. I guarantee it that day when 400 people show up on May 7th, no children will die at 412 DB Todd. There's going to be children that come into this world because abortions don't happen. <laughs> it's worth it. Wouldn't you want to be part of that? Then you get to hold that child and look into its eyes. It's amazing. Anybody else? Any concerns, parents? Any concerns you'll have? Y'all have strange looks back there. Yeah? No, you're good. I was trying to... Um, so, actually, I had a friend of mine personally that went through this 
college. Abortion? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, um, sorry. <laughs> um, I don't know why. Sorry, it's a very tough, tough subject. Um, it was very close to my mind that I would do that back in college. And, um, especially to all students, I highly recommend that you take this advice very well. Um, she approached me and told me that she was going to do that, and um, she asked me to drive her to, to the abortion clinic and told her no. Because I didn't support it. I wasn't, I didn't believe in that. And so she asked another friend to take her, and all I knew what to do was to just pray. I got scared. I didn't know what to do. Um, I think it was probably sophomore or junior in college and um, it's something that you can't you can't be prepared for as a friend or just no. the person that's in that situation so I think you're doing a wonderful thing thank you I appreciate it um, my question was now that I can get myself together <laughs> um, how many of like the fathers of um, of the women that go or like the dads or whatever are the ones that kind of force the women or the child that is pregnant mm -hmm. to do it yeah. in, in your circumstances. See it all the time, mm -hmm. all the time. And uh, they will try to shield them and they'll, you know, put their body in between us so they can't hear the conversation. And it, it's sad what you see. And so they have what's called death scorts. Uh, death courts are volunteers for Planned Parenthood. They wear pink vests, and their whole objective is to keep people from hearing what we're saying. They use umbrellas. They do all kinds of crazy things. They're called death courts, and so men do that all the time. But that's the other thing in here is that there are so many men out there who have aborted their girlfriends or wives have aborted children. It hurts the man just as much. I have multiple, multiple men that come up to me that are crying 10 years later because they've realized that they murdered their son. And so the man issue is a big deal. Tennessee's looking at passing a law where you have to have consent from both because I've seen men in the parking lot bawling, pleading with their girlfriend not to do it, and they go in and do it. So you see both sides of it. So they're trying to pass a law now where you have to have consent from the man and the woman. They're trying to pass a law right now where every child that's been aborted gets a proper burial. Why? Because right now, you suck a child out of the womb piece by piece. You account, you filter all the blood out. You look at the arm, the legs, the feet, the hands, the crushed head. You go, oh, it's all there. Garbage. That's not what the scriptures say. Since that child was fearfully and wonderfully made, that child has dignity. And so Tennessee's trying to pass a law that says we need a proper burial for every child that's aborted. There's the heartbeat bill that's trying to be passed. Oklahoma has probably the most aggressive law they're trying to abort, uh, to abolish abortion completely in Oklahoma and also in Arizona. I think Utah's another state. And so I'm just, I'm on a mission to shut it down in Nashville and to train people all over the world how to engage with the gospel. Hear me, it's bigger than abortion. What you don't hear me saying and what I haven't told you is that abortion's this way, but everything behind me is the world, and we engage everybody in the world. We've prevented over a dozen suicides over here because when we're not here and you're walking by me, I'm like, what's up? 
Hey, I'm Scott. I want to pray for you today. How can I pray for you? I'm in a hurry. I'll walk with you. Let's go. Pray with them. Hey, thanks for taking time, man. I'm struggling. And so, it, I can't tell you the miracles I've seen over here. I sit there, if, if nobody's going in, I'm watching cars. I'm stopping cars because I know how to stop cars. I train people on how to stop cars and talk to people they don't know. And Charmaine was about where that blue wall was, and I went. She was at a stop sign, I went. Yeah. <laughs> and she was like, and I go over there, and I said, hey, I'm Scott, what's your name, Charmaine? I want to pray with you today. Are you a Christian? I am. Great. Prayed with her. Holy Spirit said, cover her needs. I said, you have needs? Yeah. Tell them to me. My kids don't have clothes. I have five daughters, two to 13, no clothes. We don't have food. Can't pay my electric bill. Charmaine, I need to see your electric bill in person to pay it. Can I come to your house right now? Yes. So I end up in the hood in East Nashville. Rough area. It didn't belong there at all. But I walk in her apartment, meet all of her little girls, pay the electric bill, $533. She said, it's a miracle. I said, yeah, that's our Jesus right there. He's a God of miracles. We rejoiced, took care of the food, set up a shopping spree to get all the girls covered in clothes from Kohl's. Left there. She called her family up, said, hey, a miracle's happened. Some strange guy stopped me on the street, ended up in my apartment, paid my electric bill, did all this. She said, a miracle's happened. Y'all come over, let's rejoice. Her family goes over there and rejoices. They praise God all night. They buy everybody pizza on the floor. They said, we've got to let it go forward. The waters that the scripture taught, the waters of your heart, the Holy Spirit, it's not a lake, it's a river. It's supposed to flow out. So she's buying people pizza because she was blessed. The next day I'm at Planned Parenthood, I get a call. They said, hey, are you the guy that was in Charmaine's apartment yesterday? I said, I am. He said, Charmaine had a heart attack this morning and died in front of her girls. They said, can you come to us and pray with us? And I was like, yeah. Pulled up, middle of the hood. It's the only white guy there. 40 people in the front yard, they came up surrounding my truck. The father came up to me and said, I know who you are. And I know what you did for my family. And we rejoice. And we praise God right there in the street. His daughter just died. Holy Spirit spoke and said, go the distance. I said, all right. I guess that means you want me to plan their funeral. So give me a, your number one aunt. We went to the funeral home, sent with the funeral director. I said, we need a proper burial. He says, it's expensive. I said, proper burial, what is it? He said, $10,333. He said, who's going to pay for it? I said, I got it. Why? Because the Holy Spirit said, do it. He says, how long have you known the family? I said, these people, 45 minutes, and you're paying for the funeral. I am. Did the funeral. Had to stand up in front of 300-something African-Americans. Say, hey, I, I know you're wondering why the white guy is standing up here in a suit. 
and let me tell you about Charmaine. And I did, and that place erupted, and I've never seen it, but 150 people walked out that door in the parking lot instantly and began to praise the Lord when I walked off that stage. I'm walking with the family right now. We're helping those five girls live. We're helping. We're saying, why? Because that's what Christians do. That's what Christians do. It's bigger than abortion. 